Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Athletic. Good morning. Welcome to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. It's Thursday the 16th of November. I'm Michael Bailey and today we're asking... What do the latest changes mean for Manchester United? I think that all starts to feel a little bit closer with the CEO moving out of the club. How did Chelsea do now they know Emma Hayes is US bound? No doubt that the Blues will be feeling especially aggrieved at the result. And is it the end of the line for a true football fairy tale? Urs Fisher's time is over and with that sort of closes an amazing chapter in the club's history. This is the Daily Football Briefing with Michael Bailey. Let's begin with Manchester United, where things are rarely quiet. The latest twist? That'd be long-standing chief executive Richard Arnold leaving his job by the end of the year. That's earlier than expected, given there's still no official word on Sir Jim Ratcliffe and his company, Ineos, buying 25% of the club. Current board member Patrick Stewart, no, not that one, Star Trek fans, will take over as interim CEO. Our reporter Adam Crafton joins us now. Adam, take us through the latest changes at United. It's another week, so it means more drama at Manchester United. Obviously, very substantial move from a Manchester United perspective in terms of, yes, it's the chief executive of the football club, but there's also been huge speculation over the past year or so since the club decided to do this strategic review that some people thought would lead to either a sale of the club or a partial stake being sold, which we now know is very likely to be Sir Jim Ratcliffe and the Ineos group. So I think that all starts to feel a little bit closer with this, with the CEO moving out of the club. Tell us a bit more about Patrick Stewart. He He's an interesting guy. He's been there since 2006. So, you know, if you thought Richard Arnold was kind of a glazer guy, then, you know, this isn't sort of a new broom. But Patrick Stewart's been working a lot on the shareholder stake for Jim Ratcliffe over the past few weeks, I think. So he's familiar with all those legals, familiar with the integration. But I think it's still a pretty open question as to well, as the legal counsel, he could have done all that while Richard Arnold was still CEO. So why actually has Richard Arnold stepped away perhaps sooner than he perhaps needed to? And I think that's where some of those questions about how that relationship developed and how Arnold really felt about his job at United become a bit more interesting. And no doubt you'll be digging into these questions as we find out more about this move. I'm interested, Adam, what is Arnold's legacy going to be at Man United? The statements that were made on the Manchester United website were, they were warm, but they weren't glowing. While he's been CEO, it's been a pretty topsy-turvy period. You know, there's been highs of appointing Eric Ten Hag on the recommendation of of, uh, football director John Murta. There's also been winning a trophy for the first time in about, you know, for five, six years, as they did with the Carabao Cup. The flip side of that is Arnold will probably be remembered pretty much for two pretty dramatic moments you had the first one where he went to a pub quite early in in his reign and he ended up in a pretty heated debate conversation with a group of man united fans over their transfer strategy and that ended up being recorded and all went online 
And then this summer, you had Arnold telling his executive team that he intended to bring Mason Greenwood back to the club, and then the subsequent U-turn that followed that. So it's a pretty mixed, I suppose, report card. If I can just jump in there, Adam, you brought this up a little already. What do you make of the timing? And what does this mean in terms of Sir Jim Ratcliffe and Ineos getting involved at the club? So I think there's maybe a few things going on. One, maybe Richard Arnold just got to the point where he's thought, I'm not sure I actually want to do this anymore. Two, how much did his relationship with Joel Glazer change over the past six months to a year or so? And also, I suppose that the next point is, you know, does Jim Ratcliffe want to bring in his own man as CEO? I would expect that to progress pretty quickly, certainly this month, potentially over the next week or so. I think we may see some really significant progress on that. And this is where you have... A lot of speculation around a French guy called Jean-Claude Blanc, who's currently in with the Ineos group already, previously been at PSG and Juventus. I don't think this is going to be a case of, you know, Jim Ratcliffe arrives next week and he turfs out the football director and he brings in his own man and he changes the manager and all that kind of thing. I think it may be a little bit of time before Jim Ratcliffe is really able to move in. But in any case, I think a businessman like Jim Ratcliffe should be looking at this as in, oh, I need to get in there and take a proper look at how this place works rather than rushing into, you need to get him out, him out, him out, him out, him out, because, you know, there's a lot of competent people actually at that football club who have been working in an environment that's been very, very difficult in recent years and maybe actually having that new voice may empower and liberate some of them as well. Thank you, Adam. And remember, you can go deeper into the ongoing fun and games at Old Trafford with our dedicated United podcast, Talk of the Devils, wherever you're listening to this right now. You're listening to the Daily Football Briefing from The Athletic. Yesterday, we brought you the news that departing Chelsea boss Emma Hayes will take charge of the US women's national team, making her the highest paid coach in women's football. Well, her Chelsea team were back in action in the Champions League, the only trophy she hasn't won in her 12 years at the club. How did it go? Here's Abby Patterson to bring us up to speed. The Emma Hayes farewell tour of Europe TM got off to what can only be described as a controversial start in Madrid. Bright sends it in. That was the final kick of the game as the assistant referee raised her flag to rule out what would have been the winner for Chelsea. Instead, the match finished 2-2 between Chelsea and Real Madrid and no doubt that the Blues will be feeling especially aggrieved at the result. They were, after all, the better side and were leading 2-1 thanks to goals from Neve Charles and Sam Kerr. But then Madrid were awarded a controversial penalty after Jesse Fleming was penalised for a tackle that clearly occurred a couple of feet outside the box. But there's no VAR and Olga Kamuna converted to level the score and that is how the match remained. Departing Chelsea boss Emma Hayes reacted saying, I think we've been robbed of what should have been a 3-1 game. Hmm. It means that once again we are left discussing the match officials' performances rather than the high-class football on display, especially from Chelsea left-back Neve Charles who had an outstanding game. 
And whilst we're here, let's just wrap up the rest of the Women's Champions League results. It was a bad night if you had Paris in your name. Ajax beat the Saint-Germain side 2-0, whilst the team that put Arsenal and Manchester United out of the Women's Champions League, that's Paris FC, lost 2-1 to Hucken. The other match of the night saw a 2 all draw between Bayern Munich and Roma, and it was yet another one that raised a few eyebrows at some of the decision-making. Tuesday night was a little more straightforward, with Barcelona and Lyon winning, but the story of the night was Arda Hegerberg scoring her 60th Champions League goal in Lyon's 9-0 victory over Slavia Prague. 60th. Thanks, Abby. Now, Union Berlin have been a European football sensation in recent years, rising all the way to the Champions League. But this season, things have changed with a horrible case of the losing habit. And on Wednesday, the Union ended with iconic head coach Urs Fischer leaving the club. Writer Stuart James has been following the team's fortunes this season and he joins us now. Stu, it's just another managerial departure to most people, but what marks this one out from all the others? Urs Fischer has had an incredible time as coach of Union Berlin for the last five seasons. Just year-on-year success from getting the club into the Bundesliga for the first time in their history. Keeping them up against the odds. They finished 11th, so they stayed up comfortably in the end. And then following season, finishing 7th, qualifying for the Conference League. Then the Europa League after that. And then the Champions League. So it's been an amazing tale, really. And the fans really took Urs Fischer to their hearts. He loved the club, but sadly, everything's unravelled this season. So, unfortunately, they've just completely lost their way on the pitch, Michael. Lost nine Bundesliga matches on the trot, having won the first two this season. The 4-0 defeat at Leverkusen on the weekend means they're now bottom of the Bundesliga. And they're out of the Cup, having lost to Stuttgart, and they've only got one point from the Champions League game. So it's 13 defeats from 14, which is such a bad run. It's just hard to make sense of it all, really. I guess people on the outside would have thought it was inevitable that Urs Fischer would be sacked. But only a couple of weeks ago, the club's president had been unequivocal, really, in his backing of him. And the fans have still been singing Urs Fischer's name. That's how much he means to them. But the feeling is that for both parties, this had to happen in the end. Union clearly couldn't just let this go on and on. Yeah, it's a a sad end to what's been an incredible relationship with Urs Fischer and Union Berlin. And as you've kind of highlighted there, Union not your usual Champions League club, really. And I guess that might play a part in how they now appoint his replacement. Yeah, absolutely. This is the first time in their history they've been in the Champions League. It's such a shame that that, what should have been an amazing experience has been soured slightly by, obviously, this this run of form and and Urs Fischer departing. So yes, in terms of their appointment now it'll be really interesting what they look to do as I understand it they're not going to try and appoint someone who can just come in with that sort of firefighting job of keeping the club up that's not Union Berlin style at all so they'll look for a long-term replacement which is obviously easier said than done it's been pointed out to me that prior to Urs Fischer coming in they went through several managers you know so it's not a straightforward process that the next guy will come in and be here for for five years but that is the plan to find a long-term successor and I think it will be someone a little bit different as well. I guess because this is the the biggest issue when you have such a great run of long-term success under one person. When they leave or when it ends, you can fear that that can be the end of the fairy tale? Yeah, I think so. And I think it is the end of an era. You know, this wasn't going to go on and on. I sat down with Christopher Trimmel, the club captain, at the start of the season, well, in September, prior to them playing Real Madrid. And 
you know what it's like. This is like, Michael, you'd have interviewed enough players who've said this over time when they just say, oh, we're just looking to stay up. We want to get to 40 points. And Christopher Trimmel said that to me, which did feel slightly bonkers in the context of them finishing fourth the previous season and being in the Champions League. But it really was genuine. And, and that is how Union feel. Their, their target hasn't changed in terms of every season. It's trying to stay up. So I think from afar, people might look and think, oh, did they get ahead of themselves? Did they start believing their own hype? But they really didn't. It is, it is about staying in the Bundesliga. And yes, you're right. This is the end of an era. Um, you know, Urs Fischer's time is over. And with that sort of closes an amazing chapter in the club's history. But they'll be looking to push on again. Their plans, well, not plans. They are going to redevelop the stadium in a few years' time. Um, which will be transformative. It will bring in another 15,000 people. And obviously they'll hope that the club is in a good place when that comes round. So really interesting to see what they do next. I just hope that their their form now can sort of dramatically change. They can get out the Bundesliga and there's still hope for them yet. They could finish third in their group so they could get through to the Europa League through the Champions League. So hopefully that happens. Thanks, Jude. Now, if you're in search of some football to watch tonight, the good news is the international fixtures are kicking in. You can watch the already Euros qualified Spain play in Cyprus or there's fellow qualifiers Scotland in Georgia. They kick off at 5pm in the UK and are both live on Viaplay Sports or you can catch Spain on Fox Sports from 12pm Eastern in the US. And before we leave, Scotland and Spain actually know what ball they'll be playing with at the summer's Euros in Germany. That's because UEFA and Adidas, or Adidas if you will, have unveiled the Fußballliebe which is German for love of football and the name of the official match ball for Euro 2024. And that's all for your briefing today. Thanks for listening. I've been Michael Bailey. Your producers were Abby Patterson and Mike Zimmerman and executive producer was Ian McIntosh. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review if you can. Adam Leventhal will be with you tomorrow. Until then, have a cracking day. The Athletic.